Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile Up the podcast. This is episode 225 called Lisa McCarty. This podcast is sponsored by Receptiva DX. Receptiva DX is a powerful test that has helped thousands of women who have experienced recurrent pregnancy loss or IVF failure. The test helps detect inflammatory conditions of the uterus that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. The most common underlying condition of a positive Receptiva DX test is endometriosis with or without symptoms. If you or someone you know has struggled with IVF, Receptiva DX may give you the answer and treatment protocols that you're looking for. Talk with your doctor about Receptiva DX because the journey is so worth it. Plus guys, Infertile AF listeners are getting $75 off the Receptiva DX test. So all you have to do is go to receptivadx.com or download the app Receptiva DX, use code InfertileAF23 and you'll get $75 off. Thanks Receptiva DX. Okay, guys, I'm so excited about this episode today because Lisa McCarty is so open about her story and everything she's been through on her infertility journey. Guys, she did 14 transfers and that's not even the half of it. So she is going to talk a lot about that. She's going to talk about Asherman syndrome. She's going to talk about recurrent miscarriage, secondary infertility, therapy, the anxiety of pregnancy after infertility mental health, and so much more. So I will let her say it in her words. Without further ado, this is Lisa's infertility story. Hi, Lisa. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this. So I would love to just start at the beginning, as I always do, and ask, did you always want to be a mom? You know, I didn't actually. That's kind of probably a shocking answer. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually, a lot of people say that, I feel like. (laughs) Well, I would say, you know, I was super... I would say I'm, I was hyper career focused early in my life. And in fact, when I met my now husband, we've been together 17 years. Mm -hmm. I really wasn't even looking to be, you know, with anyone because I was so focused on my career. And then we got married and, um, we were together a long time and then, you know, got married and I felt like it just like the light bulb went off that, you know, the light switch went off, whatever you call it, where you sort of just all of a sudden (laughs) the hormones kicked in. And I was like, I need to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. I need to be a mom and something changed. And I remember he was giving me kind of a hard time about it. He was like, you know, where is this coming from? Slow down, you know? Yeah. Um, And I, yeah, just all of a sudden it sort of hit me and I, I just thought it would be easy for us. And it, it was the opposite of easy. Um, so that's kind of, you know, my, my experience with wanting to be a mom, I don't think I really did. And then it changed. Okay. Let's talk about what happened when you guys started to dry. So, you know, I wasn't actually having a period for about three years, um, prior to us trying. And so we started to try, and I guess I just thought things would figure themselves out. Like my body would just sort of reset at some point. And I ended up going to my OB because I didn't understand, you know, what was happening. 
And she said to me, well, if you're not getting a period, you know, obviously you're not ovulating and it's not possible to get pregnant. So you really need to talk to a specialist. And I, I remember feeling sort of overwhelmed in that moment. Like, does that mean there's something wrong with me? And so I went and saw um, an endocrinologist who became my doctor for almost 10 years. And he was just so reassuring um, and just said, you know, we're going to figure this out. So we sat down, we talked about it and realized that after 15 plus years of being on the pill that I had post-pill amenorrhea. And essentially what that means in English is after you know, <laughs> roughly six months after going off the pill, you know, your periods can stop. And it happened for me a lot longer than that. And so, so essentially we started with, with putting me back on the pill, ironically, mm-hmm. to reset my system. And I think a lot of people who've been through IVF and, and the fertility journey know that process. Right. Um, and for me, I, you know, I really wasn't thrilled about it because when I was on the pill, I had a lot of headaches and had a lot of issues and mm-hmm. it affected my mental health, like my moods. And so I really wasn't thrilled about going back on it, but obviously we didn't really have a choice. Yeah. So had you heard of that before that diagnosis? No, no, okay. I hadn't. Yeah. So what did they, what did your doctor tell you about it? Like how common is it? What were the, you know, symptoms and all that? Like, obviously it was that you weren't getting your period, but what did yeah. anything else come along with it? You know, he didn't really give me a ton of information. He just said, we need to reset your system. And the way to do that is to put you back on the pill. And okay. so the information that I was given was really like, here are your options going forward. It wasn't really, why is this happening to me? Uh-huh. And so in hindsight, I would have liked a little bit more, you know, sort of background or context as to why it was happening. Because I, you know, I realize now it was as a result of the pill. And I, you know, I wish I would have address some of those concerns and not feeling well while I was on the pill, mm-hmm. you know, for so long. Um, and I would have stopped it earlier if I had known anyway, but I think, you know, I try to keep a positive perspective at all times, even going through fertility. And so from there, we, you know, we sat down and we talked about options and he basically said, you know, we need to do all the testing that they do at the very beginning of any treatment. And they had to kind of rule out any potential issues you know, chronic illnesses or anything going on. And so, um, you know, wanted to check my husband's fertility level and all that. And then, and then we tried IUI. And Mm -hmm. so that was the first part. And I honestly wasn't too vested in IUI. Like I just really (laughs) was thinking if my body doesn't know what to do without medication, it seems like maybe I'm going to need a little more help. You know, Mm -hmm. intuitively, I felt like it was going to take a lot more for us. And so, you know, I was hoping it would work, but I, you know, I really wasn't too um, confident about it. Uh How many IUIs did you do? Just one or more? We did a couple. We did maybe like three or four. Mm -hmm. And then, and then at that point, my doctor was like, um, I I don't think this is working. You know, I think we need to make a new plan. They were all negative. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, a loss. It was just a negative outcome. And so so basically we reevaluated and I remember he called me and he said, you know, based on, you know, what I'm seeing, it seems like you would be a good candidate for IVF. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, we talked about what that meant and we talked about the stimulation drugs and all that. Um, and he said, you know, I think we're, and I, I was trying to coax him into considering putting more than one in um, when we did the transfer. And he was like, because I really wanted twins at the time. 
And he was like, no, based on your frame and your body type and everything, I I think we got to start with one Mm -hmm. um, and see how it goes. And so we did one IVF and the first one worked for me. I felt really lucky because I did have a few friends that were going through it. And I felt super lucky that that was, you know, our outcome. This was almost two years into treatment. Okay. Wait, can we back up a little bit? So how many embryos did you have at the end of your first cycle and did you get them tested? We did not do embryo testing the first time mm-hmm. before my um first IVF. As far as the total, gosh, it was so long ago. I'm gonna guess that it was somewhere around 14 and we did not they did not all survive. Mm-hmm. So um, they did not make it all to that blastocyst phase. Mm-hmm. And so I think we ended up with roughly like seven. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. So you transferred the one and. Number one. Yeah. yeah. And it worked. And it worked. And that, and that's my daughter and she's just turned 10. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. Which is, yeah, is amazing. And I thought, you know, okay, this is it, you know? <laughs> and then, so that was, that was the first one. And then. From there, you know, I, I think I waited, it was about a year, year and a half. Um, we kind of paused and then we started again because I decided I wanted a second and that sort of feeling came back again as we're all probably familiar, um, you know, that want to become a mom again. And, mm-hmm. and I felt like it was easy the first, you know, quote, easy, almost two years for me felt easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, it was the opposite. Um, we went through almost four years of just exhaustion and emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Um, so what else was we, going on, like medically? We started at the beginning with using the remaining embryos that we had. And okay. my endocrinologist said to me, you know, I think we have a really good shot. You know, you had success on the first IVF. And he was really hopeful and always very supportive. But you know, from a mental health perspective, I was definitely feeling stressed and anxious because it was a lot of waiting. Obviously, you know, you go through this process and you think it's going to be, you know, stimulation and then you do all the injections and you do your trigger and then you do your transfer and then it's the two week wait and it sort of became autopilot. Um, So I don't think at the beginning of the process of that, you know, years of treatment, I felt like we were going to struggle. But then as we got into that last year, I had four losses in a row. We were getting a lot of negative results. So essentially it was like all negative tests. um, Okay. So you were doing the transfers, but the transfers were not working. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they did several hysteroscopies during that process. And we did another round of stimulation as well. So we used basically the remainder of the six embryos. And then we had to do more stimulation mm-hmm. because I ran out. And so I think we got another seven. So it was a total of basically 14 transfers. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Girl, I've been through I've been through the ringer. Oh. That's not even that's not even all of it. Okay. Um, so yeah. So anyway, so we so we used all the remaining embryos. Those were all negative. And my my endocrinologist, after these four losses, 
he, you know, every single time he was like hopeful, you know, this is going to work. And then I would get the call and the first day it would be like the, you know, the blood work was good. And then the second time they would call back, things were not doubling again. And it was like that just mm. utter devastation where you're just, you know, like, what am right. I doing wrong? Did so I? So you were getting, you're getting like a positive beta, but they weren't, it didn't yeah. end up yeah. resulting so, in So pregnancy. for those four losses. Yeah. And I feel like even now, like it's been four years you know, since I was done with all of that, since we had our second, mm-hmm. um, and I'm still just dealing with a lot of this. It's totally. Absolutely. A long, a long well, let's, let's talk about the mental health piece of this. Cause I know yeah. that's important to you. Yeah. What was going on with you like mentally and also your husband and how did it affect your relationship too? Yeah. So I would say the first couple of losses, like the first three losses, I kept saying, you know, I kept trying to be that positive person that I am and, you know, trying to take care of myself mentally. Like I'm, I'm trying to go to yoga and I'm trying to, you know, have some mindfulness time and do my therapy, which I would say is the number one thing that got me through all of that. I can't advocate for therapy enough. Uh, and I had an amazing psychologist who specialized in something called OCD. And I don't know if you're familiar, but it's essentially where you um, you sort of obsess, mm-hmm. and anyone who's gone through fertility probably feels that way too. Um, but anyone who's gone through it, it feels that sense of anxiety. But this, for me, was extreme, mm-hmm. and so I was having a lot of intrusive thoughts about, you know, thinking the worst. So every time, for example, like we would do a transfer, and then I had a loss. I would go through the transfer again and I would try to be positive for that two week period. And then it happened again and it happened again and it mm-hmm. happened again. And so by the fourth one, I was on the bathroom floor crying my eyes out. And my husband, Ryan, you know, came and laid with me on the floor and he's holding me and he's telling me like, we're going to figure this out. And I'm mm-hmm. like, nobody knows what's happening. Like nobody can figure this out. What is right. wrong with me? You know, and at that point, I felt like a complete failure and also a disappointment to him because he wanted to get pregnant again. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think it's one of those things where you put so much pressure on yourself. And, you know, in life and in work, that's just always the way that I've been for myself. I'm like an overachiever. I got to get everything done. And so for pregnancy, I thought it would be, you know, the same. Anyway, so we're, you know, we're in the midst of this last loss and I felt like he too was feeling it. You know, he's in tears with me on the floor and we're talking about this and, and he's like, you know, we're going to figure it out. So, so I think it took a few weeks for us to kind of, and especially me to kind of get myself together. And that last one, I didn't bleed as much as the third one. The third one I felt like was debilitating. I Mm -hmm. was in the bathroom, just blood pouring out of me. Like I didn't know what was happening in beef. This is even before they actually called me with a negative test. Oh God. Yeah. So it's just one. And then I started feeling lightheaded and then they asked me to come in and he's like, we got to do a DNC like, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it was even more like, you know, emotional in that, um, in that moment. Cause you're just like, Oh, this is really final. Like right. it's not just a failure or it's not just a negative, but it's like, there's something seriously not working here. Right. Um, and you're probably nervous about 
your health and what's going to happen next. And there's so many emotions that go through your mind at that moment. I think anybody who has been through that can relate for sure. I'm so sorry you had to go through all that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think, but you know, as the saying goes, what doesn't break you makes you stronger. And, um, I feel like what happened next was life-changing for us because we were able to sort of move forward. So, so I went back in a few weeks later after the fourth loss and talked to my endocrinologist and he's, you know, got that serious look on his face. Like he said to me in my 30 years of practice, I have never seen a case like yours. Mm. I have never seen someone where we throw the kitchen sink at you, literally, you know, every kind of medication we did Mm -hmm. our ERA, we did, you know, all the protocols, we changed things up. We, you know, tried to determine it was it the timing. Was it, you know, medication? Was it the trigger shot? Was it, you know, some underlying thing that they didn't test for? They, I think I recall they did some additional testing again. Mm-hmm. And then he looked at me and he was like, I think you need to see a specialist. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, aren't you the specialist? Like, right. Yeah. What, what next? What does that mean? Totally. Um, and so he said that he had someone that he trusted and that he had worked with before and he didn't, couldn't promise anything, of course, but he wanted him to, you know, wanted me to see him. And he's, he's based here in DC and, um, he specializes in these situations. Uh, you know, I became the situation. Um, and so I went to see him and I will say it was one of those moments where I felt completely validated, like somebody understood. So this person is an OB but he also OBGYN, but he is also a specialist in something called Asherman syndrome. Mm, yep. Have you guys talked about that? I wasn't We sure. have, yeah, in several, okay. several episodes or like a handful. Yeah. It's come up a bunch okay. of times. Yeah. So so for anyone who doesn't know what it is, essentially it's you know, scar tissue in the uterus, which can trigger um, recurrent miscarriage. Mm. And so I knew nothing about that when I went to him. And so, you know, that was very stressful you know, leading up until then. And then I would say I felt some sense of relief feeling like we were going to have a direction. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we did some treatments. Um, and essentially what that means is, you know, they do the hysteroscopy and then in between the treatments, it, it was a series of four for me. And in the treatments, they basically remove the scar tissue while you're awake in the office. It's an, in, you know, an outpatient procedure in a exam room, special exam room at the hospital and they take the tar- scar tissue out while you're awake, while you're watching it on camera, which was mm-hmm. a little stressful. Yeah. Um, but I also felt like, okay, this guy is going to help me. Things are going to get better. They have to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we went to a series of those uh, appointments four in a row, and they were uh, a couple of weeks apart because I had to take estrogen in between to heal the lining of the uterus. And essentially that would hopefully, you know, at the time he said it would help to prevent the scar tissue from recurring. Mm-hmm. And so we went back after that fourth appointment and he said, I don't see anything. And I was like crying in the office, like thinking, right. are we finally like here? I mean, it still wasn't a guarantee that I was going to get pregnant again, but it was that just, you know, so many years of trying and then, and so much loss to say, you know, I think we figured it out. And so then I know, obviously walk out to the, to the, um, 
waiting room to my husband and gave him a big hug and we're both in tears. And, mm-hmm. and it was just a huge sense of relief, like that black cloud, you know, finally, you know, maybe we had figured something out. So, right. so anyway, um, so then we went back to my endocrinologist and we talked about a plan and I had one embryo left. Mm-hmm. And so my, um, my doctor at the time said, you know, basically this is our last shot. If this does not work, you know, he, he actually, I'll back up. Actually, he had to go to his board before we decided that he, <laughs> because I, because I'm such a rare case, because I'm always the 1% of everything. Um, right. He said, I need to consult my board with, with this situation and make sure that, you know, this is a good idea to put you through this again. This episode is brought to you by Vegamore. I'm always trying to do right by my body. So when it comes to my hair and scalp health, finding a product that actually works and is made with clean ingredients always seems like a trade-off. But with Vegamore, I get products that are made with clean ingredients and give me visibly healthy hair and scalp. With Vegamore, I am able to have noticeably thicker, fuller, shinier, longer hair, all without the harsh ingredients. Every cute pink bottle of Vegamore products are 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Okay, so I got my box of Vegamore products and I've been using them all for the past month. The shampoo, the conditioner, the grow hair serum, the hair foam, the eyelash serum, the eyebrow serum. It's been about a month, like I said, and my hair really does feel stronger and thicker. Everything looks better. And the shampoo in particular, I have to say, smells really good. The key is consistency in your routine for your most beautiful, healthy-looking hair. I use Vegamore Grow Hair Serum daily, and my hair and scalp are feeling better than ever. Here's another cool thing. Vegamore has these great value kits, like the Grow Essentials Kit, where you get to try more than one amazing product at a time at great savings. So when you sign up for a monthly subscription, you save more, and you never run low on the products that you need. And fun fact, guys, Vegamore sells one bottle of the Grow Hair Serum every 15 seconds on their website. That's how good this stuff is. So here is the deal, my beautiful listeners. For a limited time, you can get 20% off your first order by going to vegamore.com slash infertileaf and using code infertileaf at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash infertileaf, code infertileaf to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash InfertileAF, code InfertileAF. Thanks, Vegamore. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Because we were talking about surrogacy at this point, because I had one left. He said, if this doesn't work, we're going to have to, we're going to have to look at surrogacy. And they gave me all the paperwork and I was on board hundred percent because I just wanted to be a mom again. I just wanted to, you know, have a sibling for my daughter. And I didn't care what that looked like. If we had to adopt, fine, let's do that. You know, let's mm-hmm. whatever it takes. And so he consulted with his board and he came back and he said, they gave us one more shot. (laughs) And we're both like laughing on the phone because it's crazy. Like, um, you know, almost 15 rounds of IVF and Mm. so many things. Putting Um, your body through so much too. So much. Can you tell me about like the physical toll that it took on you as well? Going through so many rounds of that. Yeah. And I would say that the biggest physical toll was sort of just like that feeling of exhaustion, um, mentally and physically, uh, you know, mm-hmm. despite still going to yoga and doing all the mindfulness and therapy, I just generally felt exhausted. Um, and because I already had a child, you know, like this was our second, we were trying for, I felt even more exhausted and drained and trying to sort of hide that a little bit from her because she was so young at the time. Right. That feeling like, you know, my kid has to, you know, cause they sense our energy, they 100%. sense our, our anxiety and our, our mood. And they call it, I think, emotional attunement when mm-hmm. you walk into the room and someone can feel how you feel and you sort of change. Like if somebody walks in in a bad mood or whatever, you know, it's sort of the same thing. Like you adjust your mood. And I, I wondered sometimes if she could feel that. So, so generally I would say, um, my physical self was just exhausted. And I know my husband felt the same way, but he just never showed it. He was, he has always been my rock, my Mm -hmm. grounded place. And whenever I felt sort of overwhelmed, he was the person that I, you know, sort of relied on to help me and, um, and I'm grateful for that every mm-hmm. step of the way. He got me through it in addition to my therapist, of course. <laughs> so, right. Therapy. Um, so yeah. Tell me about the therapy. Like what were the things that you were talking about and like that you wanted to kind of get the tools mm-hmm. to learn how to navigate? Yeah. So, um, are you familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT? Do you, I've heard of it, but I've never done it myself. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and I didn't know what it was before I started doing it, but essentially CBT is where you are. There's kind of four different things that I think I can, you know, share as far as lessons from my therapy and what we were working on. Um, the number one thing we worked on for CBT was sort of the pathway of thinking. And so for me, um, and I, I forgot to mention this, but after my, after I delivered my first Ella, um, I had complications with delivery. And so that was really traumatizing. In addition to all this infertility stuff, um, that was one of the things that we talked about and, um, in my therapy. And so the, the change of pathway of thinking really comes, he always said to me, 
You can't change the thought going into your mind, but you can change your response to it. Mm-hmm. And so what that means in English is basically like, you know, I was having fear of more loss and I was having fear that something would happen to me and just thinking the extreme. And he would say, okay, so that, that thought is going into your mind, but your response to it needs to change. And so right. instead of thinking about what could happen and the what if, he always also told me to remain present and stay where you are right now instead of focusing on what could potentially happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one of the things we worked on was working through the trauma that I had after my delivery. So I had a retained placenta. They spent 45 minutes trying to get it out. And I think roughly it's 30 to 60 minutes that they have a window of time to get it out after delivery before it becomes, you know, an issue of hemorrhage. And I ended up losing a lot of blood during Mm -hmm. that manual, you know, trying to take it out. And they um, rushed me to emergency DNC. I had lost a lot of blood and, Um, So that was really traumatic when I woke up because the delivery was relatively uneventful for me with her. And then I was worried about the same thing, the retained placenta happening again. And so then going through the losses, um, we worked through this in therapy as well, you know, that I was afraid, you know, I was just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, every time that I would go through a cycle because I had had so many failed cycles and then after the losses, it was the same thing. I'm afraid that I'm going to ha- you know, have another loss. And then when it came to that last transfer, the number seven one that we had one more shot, um, I was really anxious throughout that process. And I, I talked to my therapist every two weeks at that time. And um, I remember we were chatting in the session just before I got the results. And he said, you can't control any of this. Mm-hmm. You know, like you really need to come to realization. <laughs> you can't control any of this. And I knew that, but I needed somebody to like say it to me. Right. You know, so much of infertility is that you have zero control. Yeah. And that for someone with anxiety, or or even if you don't, that's super stressful. And mm-hmm. it feels um debilitating in some way. And so um I went in, you know, I got the blood work and it was positive. And then the numbers kept doubling. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm going to have a miscarriage again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to lose this again. And he kept saying, stop thinking the worst and just focus on the present today. You're still pregnant today. You know, today the numbers are good. It's so funny. You know? Yeah. I mean, not funny, but it's interesting that you say that because in fertility rally, you know, groups, support groups and stuff, we say that a lot. And that sometimes that's all you can do is today I am pregnant. You know, this moment, this hour, sometimes it's hour by hour, sometimes it's minute by minute, but you know, you're right. There's not much you can control, you know, if anything sometimes. And so that, I think that's a good way to, to re try and reframe it just to get through the moment even. Yeah. Yeah especially for people who are control freaks, <laughs> right? Because, you know, it's, it's really, um, it's a hard lesson, but it's so true. And then, so with regard to, you know, not thinking the worst and intrusive thoughts, um, the other thing was when I was pregnant, so we did end up 
staying pregnant, getting pregnant and staying pregnant with my second. And I was just terrified of sharing it with anyone yes. because I was afraid as soon as I said it out loud, that something bad would happen. And I mean, do you call that superstitious? I don't know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think so. But I think it makes a lot of sense and I can totally relate to that. And I'm yeah. sure so many other people can too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we got to about 22 weeks and, um, and then I started bleeding and it wasn't just a little bit of blood and I didn't have any bleeding with my first, um, pregnancy, my you know, pregnancy where I stayed pregnant with my daughter. And, um, I started having bleeding and it was a lot of blood and I called, you know, I, at this point I had graduated from quote graduated from fertility, um, treatment and from the clinic and to, um, an OBGYN and an MFM. I, Cause I was almost 40 at this point, you know, they call it a geriatric pregnancy when you're over 35, which is, yes, I've said so many times before. I oh hate that gosh. term. Get rid of that term. Just ban it. So, so ridiculous. I think it originated in the UK, right? Mm, I have the, no idea, but it think, needs to go think, away. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. So, um, anyway, so I had actually two OBs. Um, one was a specialist maternal fetal medicine and who was fantastic. I can't say enough about her and then a regular OBGYN as well. And so I called them, you know, this is like, I don't know, eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, you know, my daughter's asleep. I'm having an anxiety attack, you know, like what is going on? Everything was fine. I'm finally in a place where I'm content. Mm -hmm. And then you know, I started bleeding. And so they brought me in. I was basically, like, they didn't know what was wrong. They put, they hooked me up to the monitor. They could see the baby was still moving and everything was fine, which of course, immediate relief as the mom. But on the other end of the spectrum, they couldn't figure out what was causing the bleeding and they didn't know how to stop it. And so I had to be basically monitored for 24 hours until my OB could come which was ridiculous because, you know, they had someone on call, but she didn't come until a couple of hours later because she was, you know, dealing with emergencies. Anyway, so my doctor at the time, she had been in practice for like a million years. She's actually um, no longer with us. She ended up passing away a few years after mm. my son was born. But anyway, so um, she came in and she looked at me and she was just the most bold, you know, unfiltered person. Um, she's a Brit and I just loved her because mm -hmm. she just, you know, she didn't give you any BS. Like she just said, here's what's happening. You need to chill out. Like, <laughs> you know, um, and she said, <laughs> we can't figure out where the bleeding's come from, coming from, but you're safe and everything's okay. And the baby's okay. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to figure this out. And then she left. And so the, in the morning, they got me, wheeled me down to my maternal fetal medicine doc, um, who's, you know, the specialist in this area. And they did a lot of imaging and tried to figure it out. And it turned out that it was me that was bleeding. My own, my, my uterus was bleeding and mm -hmm. it, was part, it wasn't part of the placenta, thank God. So anyway, the whole time I'm like, you know, I'm finally content. My anxiety is coming down. You know, I'm finally like, in a good place where I feel safe in this pregnancy. And then this happened. Mm -hmm. And so they, fortunately the bleeding stopped and I was able to go home. So I was really grateful and everything was okay. And then from there, we didn't have any issues. And then as we got closer to the end of my pregnancy, 
I started having a lot of anxiety again because I was worried about the hemorrhage happening again. And mm-hmm. so my husband, you know, was always reassuring and, you know, he seemed okay. But then I was talking to my therapist about it. And so I said to him, and this is, I can laugh now because it's funny, but at the time it wasn't. I said to him, I'm terrified that I'm going to hemorrhage again. I'm going to have another retained placenta and then I'm going to die in childbirth. And that, and then he said to me, well, you've got to stop what if the situation, number one. But right. he said, well, if you die, then it's not going to matter because you won't be alive. You won't know. And oh, I God. was like, <laughs> I, I know. And I like bust out laughing when he said that. And I was like, what? <laughs> but, you know, essentially he was trying to rationalize the fear to say, you know, this intrusive thought that you're having, um, you know, you can't control it again you know, you got to focus on the present and let's just hope that doesn't happen. And your doctors are prepared. They know what happened before. You have a 7% chance of hemorrhaging again and having another retained placenta, but it's probably not going to happen. And so I felt better after that. My anxiety definitely went down. Um, and I was doing all the things, I mean, you know, therapy and I was meditating Mm -hmm. daily and I was doing yoga. I was taking walks. Those were kind of my my big four go-tos. Um, and then delivered and um, I everything was okay, but they didn't get the placenta completely out. And it was mm-hmm. like happening again. They looked at the ultrasound and they were like, I think we got it all. So then a week postpartum, I started having stomach pain and they brought me in for an ultrasound. So anyway, so... I go in, they do the ultrasound and she says, you know, I go back up for the evaluation with the doctor after they look at the imaging and she says, you have retained placenta, you have two options. And I was like, okay. And so the two options were number one to give me medication. And I'm like, no, or do a DNC. And I said, I think I, I think that makes like, you know, a lot more sense. And so they, it was supposed to be a 45 minute procedure let's get this thing done. You know, you're going to be fine. I have a one week old at home at this point. Right. Right. And, um, go in for the procedure. I remember they took me back. I woke up whatever, you know, amount of time later after anesthesia wore off and I was in debilitating pain and I was crying and I'm like, what is happening? And the nurse looked down at me and she's like, you hemorrhaged a liter of blood you have to stay here for 24 hours or 40 oh hours God. and be monitored. And I'm like, Scary. oh my God, my biggest fear almost came true. And so, you know, they basically had to insert like a balloon and um, my iron levels were significantly low. And, and my husband came and he walked in the room and he like looked pale and he's like, oh my God, like we almost lost you. And it was literally like all of the things that I had feared came true. Um, And so I would say, you know, through my entire process, the biggest thing that I have learned is that you always have to advocate for yourself, number one, because I knew something was wrong when this happened, you know, in just after delivery. But, but overall, you know, I feel like therapy has saved my life. Um, and I would say, you know, mental health is the number one thing that people do not talk about when it comes to infertility. Right. And, you know, when you go in for your checks and they do your blood work 
you know, after these transfers and, you know, they tell you the verdict, like the only person that you have left is, you know, you to deal with the mental health piece. And they're not, you know, they're not checking on you. Um, and, you know, I don't fault anyone, you know, in that, in that world, uh, you know, at the clinic, I think they did an amazing job. They did their job, but I, I wished that I had a community, um, to talk with about it. And in my second pregnancy, I did have a friend who was actually going through fertility treatment at the same time in the same clinic. So I was really lucky, but I didn't have that in my first pregnancy. And, you know, if I didn't have a therapist, I feel like I probably wouldn't have gotten through all of that, or maybe I would have, but you know, it wouldn't have been as sort of healing as it is now. I've found so many ways to cope. Um, and so I feel like the biggest takeaways for me have been my four go-to things. Number one, therapy. If you don't have a therapist, you know, find someone you trust to talk to that's a medical expert, hopefully, you know, a psychologist or someone that specializes in anxiety or trauma or whatever it is that you've gone through. And then the, the number two thing for me has been mindfulness. And it, you know, it sort of sounds cliche, but really like sitting down, being alone with yourself and being quiet and sitting in stillness and sort of just clearing your mind and letting go of all the things that are happening. Because I feel like in that moment, when I was going through all of that, you know, at, at every point of my journey, I feel like I needed to disconnect from what was happening. Um, cause mm -hmm. it felt so overwhelming. Yeah. Um, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And then exercise for me too has been so cathartic. I, I can go on a walk and I feel like, you know, just a, even a 10 minute walk, I've actually read that, you know, from an anxiety standpoint, that even a 10 minute walk can be as effective as a 45 minute walk or run because it can calm anxiety. It can kind of tamp down on that fight or flight feeling when you're totally overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last piece, I would say is community. Um, you know, I had a friend, like I said, that I went through with it, but I wished that when I was going through it with both of my pregnancies that I would have had someone else, you know, a community to talk to. And I'm so glad that you, you have created this because I feel like I'm almost healing from so many years of treatment now. Oh um, gosh. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. That's what's that's what it's all about. It's just, you know, sharing all these stories yeah. and stuff. So thanks for saying that. Yeah, no. And well, and thank you for, for sharing, you know, your story and, and being so transparent in all of this. Cause I feel like, um, to have, like you said, a safe place to talk about it, it's, it's cathartic and it makes you feel like you're, um, heard and seen and validated and, you know, you're not alone. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. You guys are the best. Thank you for all the emails and DMs and um, just letting me know that you guys are really being helped by this podcast. It means so much to me. So if you have two seconds and you can go rate and review it on Apple, that helps too, just with exposure. If you haven't done that, I would really appreciate it if you did. Also, if you're looking for a community, check out Fertility Rally. You guys have heard me talk about it a million times, but it is the place I wish I had when I was going through this. We are accepting new members all the time. No matter what you're going through, we will meet you where you're at. 
We've got so many support groups. We're adding more and more, I feel like, each month. So we currently have four to five per week, and we're adding more this summer. So check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally. Check us out on the interwebs at fertilityrally.com. You can always DM me at InfoLive Stories if you have any questions directly about the membership, what it includes, all that stuff. We're also having an IRL event in Chicago in August where people are going to come. We're going to spend the whole weekend bonding and doing amazing things together. So if you join now, you can come to that as well. So it's just lots of good things, lots of support tons of sisterhood. We have rally guys too, guys support groups. So just follow us on Instagram for all the latest. You can always reach out to me and thank you again for being here. I hope you have a good day. Sending love.